Welcome to the Operate Intelligently podcast. We're continuing our discussion on the 2018 Operations Health Index with Earl Lang and Jed DeGroat. So let's shift over to one of the more interesting and newer technologies, and that's IoT, or the Internet of Things, and predictive maintenance. And I want to clarify to our listeners just what each one of these terms means to them. I'll begin with IoT, or Internet of Things. IoT is essentially an Internet-powered web that connects devices and allows them to communicate. Um, and so the question I want to put out to you two is, you know, is how does that help schools and universities? Yeah, I think um, to talk about how that helps uh, schools and universities, we want to put into context a little bit about how they've managed work historically, um, you know, to put it into our context with maintenance and operations. And it hasn't changed a lot until, until recently, but, you know, over the course of time or historically, uh, the way that operations works is somebody finds something that breaks, whether that's, you know, a door or whether that's a ballast that's out or a light or something. They report that to a, a maintenance department. Um, there may be an approval process that it has to go through that might take a couple of days, especially before CMMSs were around and, um, you know, using paper-based systems. And once it was approved, then it would get dispatched and you would go have a maintenance technician repair that and let the uh, requester know that it was complete. And you get CMMSs that come in. We help automate some of that workflow with the approval process, at least, with the communication and, and the dispatching of the work order. But still, it requires a human to find that, that thing that broke or whatever. I think with the Internet of Things now, you know, where we're getting to is um, some of the, the smart devices, like you mentioned. I think of thermostats, that's a common one, too. You know, they can um, trigger alarms and, and work orders before somebody has to mm-hmm. report them. And so that's, that's kind of exciting, uh, you know, to be able to take that person or that human element out of it or, or to find stuff before it's reported. That's what the goal is of our, our clients and, and for folks that serve in, in educational op- um, operations and everything. So um, now take that even a step further when we talk about predictive maintenance. Um, you know, I know that's something that, that was in the uh, index as well. Um, predictive maintenance takes that internet of things and starts to use artificial intelligence. So instead of just reporting it when it breaks, it can actually learn what kind of behaviors or actions are occurring and it can alert someone before it breaks. And that's really, you know, where we want to go with it. You know, we're looking to the future of how we can improve operations and everything to be predictive and catch things before they break. Uh, it's just it's a more efficient way of doing business. Absolutely. Um, and to add to that, I mean, I think, I think really Jed did a, a great job of kind of summarizing the value here. I think that a lot of what he hit on is exactly why we wanted to add insight into predictive maintenance and Internet of Things in this year's uh, Operations Health Index. Uh, it was really, I mean, given the lack of funding, especially in, in public K-12, we know that Internet of Things um, can help transform the way educational institutions um, and organizations operate today. Really, they now have the ability to move from being, not just with PM in a traditional sense of you know, preventative maintenance, they're already moving from proactive to reactive there, but now they have the opportunity to do even more so with predictive maintenance to move to that model just by leveraging operational data like Jed mentioned that already exists within their systems. It's using AI to communicate that to you um, before you would even send a technician out there to check and see if there was a problem. Um, So it's being even more proactive than many people are already doing and and that helps you justify not necessarily needing to increase things like CAD count, um, easily focusing on issues that you know provide the largest impact to uh, the operations overall. I would agree, and I think one of the interesting things about seeing the Internet of Things flourish is, 
you had uh, a lot of your manufacturing companies doing these type of actions on a manufacturing line for years, but there's that investment in all these sensors and devices that could relay that information back and, and create predictive maintenance. Now we have that ability to, to retrofit that into existing infrastructure. Um, and I think that's what's really amazing is that they can they can harness what a lot of these companies like say a Boeing or a Pepsi or whatever were able to invest in their manufacturing process and the lessons learned. Absolutely. So Jed, why do we not see more institutions adopting this technology? Is it a lack of interest, knowledge, or funding? Well, Brian, I think you know it is good to note that the trend is on the rise um, with educational institutions. It's not to the degree that it is with uh, some manufacturing firms, like you said, with Boeing and Pepsi and others too. But I think the slowness of adoption in education is twofold. Um, one, it still requires a lot of technical resources to implement. Um, it's not quite to the point where it's out of the box, where non-technical resources can, can leverage the, the power of IoT and predictive maintenance yet. Um, and two, I think you know many are still in reactive mode, like we've talked about earlier. That's um, kind of a recurring theme here. Uh, and, and let's acknowledge, you know, there is a real challenge going from reactive to proactive, the whole mindset and everything, and, and really at the leadership level is um, where that needs to happen too. So it's not easy. It requires resources. It requires a change of mindset, and um, it requires really strong leadership as well. And it requires some investment to retrofit some of those um, assets like you talked about earlier, Brian. Yeah, I think uh, that this is a good uh, portion to jump in and kind of talk a little bit about what surprised us. I mean, I think Jed hit on a good point there. It certainly is lagging behind a little bit in education, and he hit on some good reasons uh, why. I think to build on top of that, one of the things that kind of surprised us when, when looking through respondents is that in general, K-12 schools uh, responded a little bit more positively to questions um, around predictive maintenance and Internet of Things. and. I think a little bit, that made us raise our eyebrows a a little bit there because not to say that the operations of K-12 schools are are not complex, that they very much are. With higher ed organizations, I think you typically see larger schools at times. And so with that, those tends to come slightly more complicated, uh, widespread operations. And a lot of what we've seen in the market with a lot of publications even is that very much predictive maintenance and Internet of Things is a topic that's being discussed with uh, higher ed a little bit more than it is K-12 right now. And so to see our K-12 audience respond a little bit more positively, overall it wasn't overwhelmingly positive. The the sentiment data indicated that many people didn't have uh, these strategies as part of their plan currently. Many were considering them for the future, but there's still a big gap on the understanding of what these things are, period. And I think uh, that will definitely improve over the next few years here. But a little bit surprising to see that higher ed was lagging behind a little bit in that understanding. That kind of contradicts, again, what we've seen in the market a little bit. But and looking into the data, we're not really sure why that was. So mm-hmm. if, um, you know, we've, we've done a couple blog posts about what our clients think about why this response was the way it was. So if anybody, you know, has any thoughts on that, we, we'd love to hear kind of why, why you do think that that is the case. Are you looking for a way to get inspired about your work as a facility or operations professional? Join us at our annual maintenance and operations conference, Dude University in Raleigh, North Carolina, May 5th through 8th, 2019. You'll be able to attend educational sessions about your day-to-day work, meet professionals from across the country that work in your and other industries, and enjoy food, friends, and fun in the dude's hometown. 
If you register this year, you can take advantage of our all-inclusive due deal. Learn more and register online at university2019.com. Now I want to talk a little bit about uh, event management and energy, and this is uh, another area that we covered in the OHI this year. And I was a bit surprised that the amount of events that the average education client that we see that occur after operating hours or on weekends is equal to having events all day Saturday and Sunday. So in essence, your, your school is never offline. It's always on. And so, I, again, I was a bit startled by that. I didn't realize that. So I, I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about the importance of, like, you know, streamlining these events that is going to keep the facility running well. So, Brian, there's a lot that goes into managing events. I mean, certainly the, the number of events, you know, a little over one event per student per year is what we see for K-12. It's a little less than that for higher ed, but the number is, is big. But everything that goes into managing these events, the whole process and administrative overhead and everything, it's, it's if you flowchart it out, it's really crazy, you know. Um, just to walk through some of the parts of it. Uh, first, you know, just submitting that request, you know, whether that's a paper form or through an electronic system like what we provide and everything. You know, then there's approval processes that has to go through the administration office or maybe through the, the instructors if you're using one of their classrooms. Um, could be through athletic directors if it's using part of their facilities. You've got to do uh, insurance verification and, and background checks sometimes. Um, in higher ed, sometimes there's publication or promotion of these kind of events that goes into it too, that goes to a marketing or business office. You know, then there's coordinating the service providers. Somebody's got to be there to unlock the facilities to kind of help safeguard the, the facility while they're there and close up when they're done too. Um, there's, there's energy um, considerations. Somebody's got to turn on the air conditioning or the heat. Um, we've heard horror stories when people show up for a commencement or something and, and it's not conditioned the way that they would expect. Um, then there's the billing and the collection process. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I'm, I haven't even hit on everything. It's a full-time job, and frankly, it's not resourced properly um, at the K-12 level in particular is what, what I'm thinking about. So it's, there's a lot that goes into to managing these events, and, and so there's a lot of opportunity to streamline the process as well. To add to that, I think Jed summarized it really well in the two categories. I mean, there's very much a cost aspect where, where schools are going to try to recover costs associated to events because, like you said, when you've got your your school on for pretty much the entire weekend, you're going to try to want to recoup some of that cost. And then uh, Ian, on insurance as well, I think that's a great time with risk mitigation and, and liability, you know, so that's it's kind of twofold, those two things working together, I think, that really overall have an effect on how educational institutions look at, you know, running events within their organizations. I think the other thing, too, is it's interesting to look at the breakdown on uh, events from both a K-12 and a higher ed perspective as well, because not to beat a dead horse here, but these also tie into uh, the factors of student recruitment. You know, there's certain things uh, with higher ed, you know, you've got costs associated with security monitoring, but, you know, how well an event's run on a campus uh, is part of your retention, it's part of your recruitment, it's part of your community engagement. Um, and that also, community engagement is a big factor uh, with K-12, you know, it's your perception in the surrounding community. And there's there's obviously a lot of uh, really good numbers in the OHI associated to the K-12 segment of the market associated to cost recovery, especially with, with money being such a finite resource there as well. So interesting to see uh, where the focus for events kind of breaks down uh, within each subsegment of the market as well. And or I have a follow-up question on that. In the survey responses, did you see where there was like any effect, you know, of, of having these extra events 
did they have any effect on the facilities? We certainly did. I think overall the sentiment was that they certainly do have an effect on the facility themselves. I think, however, the sentiment is positive that many institutions feel that they're handling this after-hour issues very well. It really is, I think, indicative of the pride that many people take in uh, their preventative maintenance programs that Jed hit on earlier. They're, they're not seeing an overly excessive amount of wear and tear due to these after-hour events. And, you know, you kind of think the opposite, really, when you, when you think about it. You're like, oh, more people using the facilities, more after-hours use, that would incrementally increase uh, the wear and tear to some degree. But, you know, it's not as bad as it could be because uh, these operations managers are doing such a great job with maintaining those facilities, making sure they're, they're taken care of and that these preventative measures are taken to make sure these buildings last as long as possible. Jed, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I think the last part there um, resonates with me. I mean, I, I think more of the sentiment was that they feel better about their ability to take care of it. It's mm-hmm. not that the impact is less, because mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's face it, you know, you've got wear and tear with these events. Um, there's energy costs associated with them for the most part. Um, there's personnel costs like we talked about, security, custodial, um, any other kind of service providers there. And then there's inventory if they're using paper towels or supplies or anything like that. So so it's there. The impact's there. We estimate it's about $75 per event um, mm-hmm. alone just in K-12 through again. Um, higher ed's kind of a little bit different. I think we can get into some of the differences uh, in a little bit here too. But, but just thinking about the impact, um, it's definitely there. Uh, but the sentiment shows that, you know, people are feeling better about how they're able to manage these. And I think some of that's through the coordination of the service providers, the, the ability to, to bill and recover some of those costs. There's been a real push over the last decade of education that we've seen, you know, kind of awareness of what the impact is and the acknowledgement that we've got to recover some of this stuff. Um, I know in the past we've talked to some clients where they say, hey, you know, we didn't put this to the, the taxpayers to say, are we going to donate $1.5 million this year in facilities? Because that's mm-hmm. what the impact was on our district. If you look at energy and mm-hmm. supplies, I mean, I'm, I'm pulling that number out from a client of a, mm-hmm. a significant size and everything. But when you start to look at it like that, who signed off on just donating that to the community and everything? Because mm-hmm. that takes away from curriculum. That takes mm-hmm. away from mm-hmm. operations in other areas, too. So that, that acknowledgement that we have to recover costs, I think, is a, goes a long way to why the sentiment feels more positive, like we're, we're doing something to help manage this better. Mm-hmm. And especially, and that's the first thing I thought about with uh, being on all the time, energy being the second largest um, expenditure outside of salary for schools and educational institutions. Uh, you know that this this definitely must you know run the run the power bill up quite a lot you know when you're running the next two days. So looking at energy, Earl, I kind of wanted to ask you and, and Jed, you as well. Like, what energy trends did we discover? We we definitely know this is a hot topic. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think we saw you know there's a decrease in energy spend overall. We see that um, nationwide and everything, but um, there's still a lot of opportunity to improve. The sentiment is actually down, which I thought is ironic, you know, because the costs are down. That's a good thing, right? But, but the sentiment went from uh, 83 to, to 70 in 2017 to 2018. And I think that, that sentiment going down despite energy costs going down as well may be a reflection of energy managers knowing that they can do better. There's a lot of opportunity there that they're not taking advantage of on the Internet of Things. I think, you know, what we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. Brian, is, is a place where they know uh, or they're learning that there's things that they can do. but. Um, because of resource constraints and, and technical constraints and other things too, they're not they're not taking advantage of that. So, 
Um, but I think that trend in, in IoT will be making it easier for non-technical um, implementations and, and help with energy conservation. Yeah, I think you know overall with utility costs going down, there's a lot of other factors that have gone into it too. Um, utility companies lowering their costs. Um, there's a lot of really good energy conservation programs raising awareness within um, educational institutions. More efficient equipment, if you think about like the different kinds of light bulbs and HVAC equipment that's being implemented now. And alternative energy sources, you know, we're seeing a trend in that, uh, an uptick in solar and wind, and all that's playing a part in, in driving down what the energy costs are. But it, that was one of kind of the eyebrow-raising parts of the index about energy costs going down, but the sentiment has gone down as well. So, as we said, there's a lot of great data and insights in this 2018 Operational Health Index, and uh, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, what surprised you? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one, Brian, because I was really, uh, really closely tied with putting this whole thing together and uh, sifting through all the data. And, um, you know, we've hit on a little bit of that already. We've talked about predictive maintenance and Internet of Things. I think that was our first real uh, sentiment insight into that. So that, you know, that data was surprising. I think there's a lot of work there to be done to generate awareness around what exactly PDM and uh, IoT are in the market. I think the other uh, really surprising factor was, you know, the comparison of responses between higher ed versus K-12 institutions. There was a ton of parity in the responses, to be honest with you. You know, we always look at these educational institutions as being vastly different in their operations, and and they certainly are. There's a lot of credibility there. But... From a sentiment perspective, they're feeling very similar uh, about a lot of things. And we've actually broken out uh, the results into two separate different uh, content pieces uh, in the form of an infographic to kind of simplify it for everybody to see really how K-12 responded versus higher education. And so anybody who hasn't had a chance to take a look at that, um, I'm not going to beat you over the head with data points here, but I definitely encourage everybody to go take a look at those because it's a really unique insight that provides a a high-level outlook on the areas where there is comparative data and maybe some of the areas where they're a little bit different as well. And Jed, did you have any other observations? Yeah, I I think uh, it's important to remember that what we're talking about here with the Operations Health Index is a a sentiment score of subject matter experts in the educational operations field. Um, You know, it's based on a 25-question survey reflecting, you know, the sentiments of these these leaders, some of the most progressive leaders in, in the field around the country. Uh, and, of course, it's combined with some of the Dude Solutions data point uh, in our service as well. But I'm reminded of a quote that our, one of our founders, Kent Hudson, would frequently say. And he, he quoted this from Dr. Deming, and I'm going to try not to butcher it too much. But uh, you know, he'd say, measure everything and then know the most important things can't be measured. Mm. And, um, and that's not to discredit the importance of data. I'm a data dude. I'm a big believer in that and everything. But I think that's just to give credence to the sentiment of these 300 plus respondents and, and how they're feeling about the state of operations and everything. I think it's really important to understand the, the sentiment of peers and their respective disciplines. And I know from talking to hundreds of clients over the years and everything, um, hearing them try to explain to their, their stakeholders, their boss, you know, uh, why they need to invest more in certain areas and everything, uh, why they need to invest in IoT or get better uh, tools to manage their energy or facility use. It helps to point to a survey of 300 of their peers that mm-hmm. says, hey, we're feeling good about this because we did, we took steps already and everything. So um, I just, I think that's incredibly powerful and important, you know, the, this operational health, health index. It's not just what the dude is saying, it's what these experts from around the country are saying. 
And, you know, when we dig into it, we've hit on this a little bit too. It's interesting to see that on the positive end of the, the sentiment survey are largely kind of external factors like community and facility use and energy expenses that they're feeling good about, um, which suggests that operations professionals are, are managing these factors and, and using tools and technology to manage them better. Um, some of the areas where they're not feeling so good about is where they're having, uh, you know, um, maybe more challenges with internal stakeholders and everything with deferred maintenance and predictive maintenance and that sort of thing. So I think looking at maintenance and operations getting integrated more with the business and uh, office and everything is a trend that we'll continue to see technology starting to do that um, with maintenance playing more of a role in that in the classroom and everything. But I, I think that's reflected in this operational health survey as well and is going to be a key for uh, success for people in the future. If you want to get your copy of the Operations Health Index, as well as the infographic, we'll have those available in the show notes, as well as on our website, dudesolutions.com. Thank you for listening to the Operate Intelligently podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and you can even email us at dspodcast at dudesolutions.com.